Welcome to the Multitask. This is John. It's your boy Patty. It's going So this week, Kevin McCarthy learned a valuable lesson. Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie and then double down and issue a statement and lie only to have the two authors of the book that's coming out. I don't know the name. I forget the name of the book. But the, uh, it was, uh, I think, Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns from the New York Times go on Rachel Maddow with receipts. And then the next day, have him go on CNN and do the exact same with a different segment. So what was your impressions of Kevin McCarthy's week? Um, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it a little bit back to bring it forward. When Michelle Obama was doing her book tour, probably this is probably 2018, she said that this has nothing to do with it, but I'll bring it back. She said that when she, when she first was the first lady and she started getting into rooms with people who she thought were super uber, uber, uber smart. And then after kind of the meeting, two hour meeting would take place, she would realize, you know what, these guys aren't that necessarily that smart. And that's what I kind of thought of was with Matt Gates and Venmo, with McCarthy having these conversations that are definitely taped and then lying about it. These people aren't really that smart, right? As Trump would put it, they're not sending their brightest and their best. McCarthy, we know to be a habitual liar. By the way, on January 6th, he said this was Trump's fault. And then not a, not a week later, he was saying that Trump, this had nothing to do with Trump and there was a, a protest and blah, 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 and, and all this other stuff. So we know him to be a liar publicly. Um, I'm happy though, let me ask you a question from just a strategy point of view. They could have went on Maddo with the with the tapes first, but it was clear that they leaked the passage from the book because they knew he would double down on it and deny it. And then the real move is to come in and be like, boom, here's the tape. So do you is, am I accurate? Do you believe that was one hundred percent planned? Or do you just think they wouldn't he, they yeah, well, think he well, denied well, there, it? There was there there's no way that you don't have those tapes and you don't use them. It's it's by the way, the name of the book is this will not pass. That's the book. And it comes out on May 3rd, but going back to your question, um, there's no way that you have these explosive tapes. Um, and you can anticipate a denial. You know that they're going to deny and people are going to be telling on themselves. So I do think it was strategic um, I do think it's going to be a, a breaking or making news. Uh, as is all, So first of all, let me recap. So for people who are listening and have been living under a rock, uh, and this will not pass, there's a whole passage about how Kevin McCarthy talked to uh, the leadership of the Republican caucus and talked about how he's going to have, uh, he's going to ask for Trump to resign after January 6th. And uh, he, you know, denied it when it was in the book. And he and he he doubled down. He went ahead and he issued a statement, and then uh, Alex uh, Burns and Jonathan Martin went on Rachel Maddow, and they basically just dropped the receipts. They dropped the tape, and then the next day they played on, like I said, on CNN about him saying that he, you know, he's really pissed at Trump, and you know he, he you know, he's sick of him doing stuff like this. Um, so. I think, you know, and you and I have talked about this, and I'm now getting a little bit of a appreciation about a subject we've talked about. How do you feel about the fact that they had this tape, they sat on it, and then they released it as opposed to reporting real time? What, what is your take uh, on that? I, I do have a different perspective this week that doesn't necessarily excuse their behavior, 
but it might put it in more context. Yeah, no, I actually, I'm glad you asked this question because I've been very, very critical about Maggie Haberman and all these kind of people who are saving kind of these nuggets for their book releases. I feel this is different for a couple of reasons. One, uh, and I don't know if this this was had on Maddow or they said it on Maddow, but I don't actually know when they got this. So they might have not got this on the 10th or I think the phone call happened on January 13th, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know when they actually got this recording. That's the first thing I, I would question. The second thing is, does the does the country need to know this at the moment it happened? The reason I say no is because McCarthy on, on the 6th, Remember they remember after the whole uh, insurrection or failed insurrection happened, they they stay and they and they ratified uh, the election and everything like that. And McCarthy said on the floor, "This was Trump's fault, and people have to pay for this." He said that publicly, and then later do we find out that he changed his mind much later after the fact. So uh, I don't think that this is necessarily something I needed to know on January seventh. The other part of this is the election's over. Biden won the election. And Biden would be president within a week of, of this conversation happening. So although I do criticize people for holding on to nuggets for book releases like this, this feels uh, not that because I actually, do, uh, because of all the factors I said, I don't know when they had it and it's not as vital to an election. For instance, all the stuff that Maggie Haberman knew was prior to the election that the American people should have knew and she was holding on to. So I feel like there's a definitely a, a, a difference there. Right. And to, to, I think the thing that's fascinating about these tapes, at least what we've heard, you know, we don't know what else they're sitting on is, you know, this is politically bad. This is not, this is not, this may give them a little bit of legal exposure, but it, at the end of the day, it's just bad. And it ruins his reputation regardless when it comes out. But there were two things that I heard this week. One, I think, makes a lot of sense. The other one does speak to maybe their craven wrong wrong motive profit approach. The first piece is, if I'm a confidential source to you, part of me being a confidential source is to cut a deal with you. And I may say to you, hey, here's something that's explosive, but for the following reasons, I need you to sit on it, you know. Uh, it can't come out immediately. You know, it may impact my employment. It may impact my safety, et cetera. So that is, I believe in my mind, a legitimate reason to potentially not put something out. And that's acceptable. The one that's a little bit more controversial is the standpoint of the book publishers want the books to break news. And the value in giving the deal to so-and-so is the fact that you're going to break news. Well, if this comes out as news, its value to the book is reduced. Now, so my girl Soledad has been just be beating them up. I'd love to know her thoughts on the whole protecting sources or sources as for a little bit of a embargo on information, which I think you would have to respect. But, um, you know, someone pointed it out, though, that Rowan Farrow, as he was breaking a lot of the um, Harvey Weinstein stuff, uh, he was breaking it real time and putting it out, and he still published a book. So that kind of contradicts that last segment. So those two perspectives I just gave you, what, what are your thoughts on those two perspectives that I heard this week? 
Well, I think you answered your, the Ronan Farrow point. Harvey Weinstein was committing crimes, right? He was sexually assaulting women, which is legal, has legal bearing on, on, on people's lives and stuff like that. And I feel like this was just a tad bit different. The, uh, the other point is that, like, I do agree about sources and stuff like that. If, if somebody's, and I do this with just anecdotally with my friends and stuff, I'm like, yo, this is happening, but you can't mention it because this, 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 and this, and this. So I don't, I'm not as critical in this, in this point of view because uh, all, of all the reasons I said before. The other side of this is also, um, I wonder where this came from because this clearly didn't come from any Democrat, right? This clearly came from Republican sources. So, um, they, they have to kind of see where things land, um, before they can kind of make a move. So, um, again, Maggie, Maggie Haberman knowing something and holding on to it personally, firsthand source is different than these guys who might've got a tape. I don't know, three weeks ago or three months ago, but what have you. So I feel like it's a far different situation. I, I look, I, I understand a journalist's job. I don't, I also understand that at some point you're in it to, uh, provide a living and, and sell books and, and stuff like that. I totally get the whole thing, right? I'm not anti uh, you selling books. My whole thing is if you are in it just to make money, then there's, then you should go do kind of um, gossip and Hollywood stuff as opposed to this is something that the American people need to know as they're making their mind up. So that's kind of the line for me personally. Yeah. It, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out, you know, um, I think going back to just McCarthy himself, you know, he said what he said, and then he immediately kissed Trump's butt. And I think there's two things here going to show what's wrong with our country and, you know, uh, how differently the press is treating us and, and them. Um, the first thing is he went in and, and, and he talked to Trump immediately. The man was caught in a lie. His credibility is screwed, and his first inclination is to make sure he's cool with Trump. That's problematic. That's outrageously problematic. And that just tells you something. But then there's also, I think it was The Hill, uh, The Hill Magazine, or maybe another publication kind of wanted to see a wait, see, and they put greater importance on the fact that we wanted to see how Trump's going to respond, as opposed to the fact that the, the, uh, Minority leader in the House, the potential speaker in waiting, basically did a bald-faced lie. And I will tell you, in my line of work, and I went ahead and I found um, Kevin McCarthy's spokesperson, and I tweeted to him that he needs to resign. In my line of work, the only thing you can do when you are lying on behalf of your boss, either knowingly or unknowingly, the only thing you can do is resign because you have no credibility. Think about this. If there's reporting next week on the Hill that something's happening, does McCarthy or McCarthy's spokesperson have any credibility in dealing with the press? Uh, unfortunately, I think our press right now is so access-driven, they'll probably play ball with them. But a, a, a real working press, the press that's doing their job the way it's supposed to be doing, that kid would, they should never, ever take his calls again. And in my line of work, the only thing you have is your reputation. And I'm sorry, Kevin, if Kevin McCarthy's spokesperson had a shred of integrity and wanted to salvage his career, he has to go ahead and resign. Yeah. Um, so I'll pose a, I, I don't disagree with anything you say. So what I'll do is I'll play devil's advocate a little bit and I'll reverse the question to you. Because 
I don't think how do I how do I pose this question to you? I believe the majority of Republicans' reputation is shot. I believe that everyone knows Trump is a liar. I believe everyone knows DeSantis is a liar, McConnell, McCarthy. All these people I feel like know, right? When I forgot the journalist's name, I believe his last name is Swan from Axios was interviewing McConnell. He asked That's kind of in a jokingly net. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan Swan. He asked in a almost a curious way about McConnell holding up the seat uh, for Garland and then complaining about everything else. And McConnell kind of laughed and Swan understood the context that, oh, I get it. I get it. You're lying, but I have to, I can't do anything about it. Right. So I believe these people know. So my question to you is if you know that you're talking to a liar, um, do you, do you just accept the fact that you're, he's a liar and, and you have to kind of report it or what do you think as a journalist? Cause what the reason I'm asking is because every single person you talk to in the Republican party, or let me, let me take that back. Not every single person. I would say the overwhelming majority of people you talk to in the Republican party elected and their spokespeople are going to lie to you. Everyone in the Trump administration was lying. Kaylee was lying. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was lying. They were all lying. So do you, do you just never go to that press conference? Do you, like, so at, at what point is it just scorched earth and you, you don't have a job or at what point is it, do you have to frame the lying into your story? That whole thing, you know? Well, I think that's the problem. And, you know, it's a phrase that probably is overused and it's a area or genre of journalism that gets a bad rap for obvious reasons, but it probably, I think the main thing is that you're dealing with access journalism, right? And one of the things that um, is important, and that's where, um, what's the guy that went from the Washington Post to New York Times Blake Ferengold, you know, the the guy that was really busting, those reporters have a lot more credibility because they're not worried about access. They can report the truth. They can go ahead and, you know, the ones who who, uh, people talk to off the record, the ones that people don't sit down for interviews with, um, those probably have a lot more... they don't they don't have as many errors so to speak they they don't have as they're not put in that position to just call a liar a liar to his face and i think the thing is of course it's so easy from the cheap seats to say how i would do my job if i was jonathan swan or if i was maggie haberman or if i was jonathan martin um but i think the thing is is you have to wonder if the beat requires you to develop relationships with people who are going to be less than truthful with you, then maybe that's a beat you don't want, or that's those are contacts you don't want. Now, let me go ahead and say, you know, I work in comms. There is such thing as being a spin doctor. There is such thing as framing. Spin doctoring and framing are completely different than bald-faced lies, right? Uh, You know, a spin doctor would be, um, you know, that uh, there was, you know, 3% 3% unemployment, and I just talk about, well, you can call it 3% unemployment, I call it 97% employment, right? You know, it, it's that's that's framing, that's going ahead, and that's spinning, and that's, you know, you, you, you kind of, that's not lying, that's just putting a different perspective or spin on something, but when you see just some blatant lies, now what's tough, though, and, and it's funny because I'm put in this position as well, there are things that are going to come out that I don't want to talk about, I don't want to come out. And I need to, to minimize, we call a thing called a bridge block. There's all, a block and bridge. 
there's so many different ways to go ahead and, um, you know, avoid lying now. And, and, and I think the other things is, especially reporters that you deal, that you have a relationship with, they know when, when you're in a, when you, as a spokesperson, they know when you're in a bind, they, 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 they know you, they're, they're going to give you a little wiggle room, but they also have the expectation that we know they're not going to be friendly to us. Right. Uh, so, you know, but, you know, as a journalist, it's hard to say, um, you know, access is, 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 is currency right now. And does Jonathan Swan go ahead and completely push back with Mitch McConnell so much so that he never gets another sit down with McConnell or any other Republican leader again, or does he find a way to do it to where he retains a little bit of integrity, saves a little bit of face, but still, uh, allows them, you know, space to where that person feels they can come back. I, I really don't know. That That's my take on it. Yeah, it's interesting. As you were talking, I was trying to think of, quote unquote, the chicken or the egg situation of access journalism. Is is, is Do you remember um, during Trump's last year, there during COVID, there was a journalist, I think his name was, SV Date or somebody who was in the press briefing room and he just, Trump finally called on him after months and months. And he, and his question was, do you regret at all, all the lying? I think Trump was so shocked. He had to go, can you, can you repeat that? Sorry. What did you say? And he said, do you regret all the lying? And Trump's answer was, okay, next question. And I haven't seen that dude in a press briefing room since, right? Trump or Biden. So part of that is, he asked a fair question and he asked the question I think I would ask Trump is how can you just lie like this? Right. And then he's, he loses his access. So on some level it's like, you got to play the game, but at the same time, what are you in it for? Are you in it to play the game? Or are you in it to actually ask questions? I don't believe that we have the journalists of the past in the sense of um, sitting down with the president and truly getting a one-on-one and asking hard hitting questions, but at the same time being fair and tough. I think those days are gone. I think people are just looking for headlines and looking for sound bites, right? I, I, I could speak to myself. There, there's oftentimes where I'll send you stuff and I don't have access to it that I only read the headline or the byline because I can't click it into paywall or I just don't, I just know that this is true, so I don't even bother reading the article. So I think everybody's looking for that kind of headline and, and, and the thing that's going to go viral on Twitter. So I, maybe I'm part of the problem, but I think that is a problem. But now, and, and by the way, now that you bring this up, we're seeing Obama talk about his new mission of kind of spelling disinformation and all this stuff. And I think all of this is definitely connected to the same roots 100%. Well, here's the thing, and it's a little bit different in the White House daily press briefing, but just press conferences. And I'll talk. I'm sure I've I've never been to a mayoral press conference, but uh, working for the previous governor, uh, a pre a previous governor, not the most recent one, but the one a few years back, um, I would attend press conferences, and we would have a press conference to announce a new healthcare initiative, and normally with the first press with the press conference, um, you'll make an opening statement, five, 10 minutes, uh, maybe invite some other people to speak, and then you open it up for questions. There's a less than 50% chance that that first question and every other remaining question 
will be about what the subject of the press conference was. Sometimes the first or second, you know, if it's, if it's a really newsworthy thing and there's some relevance that an announcement that everyone cares about, but they're going to, they have a, a whole set of issues. And the other thing that amazes me is the TV reporters. I've been in press conferences where they'll ask questions and, you know, there'll be uh, one reporter from one station gets two or three questions off. You know that that dude has, once he gets his questions or her questions, they pack up their stuff and they are gone before the press conference is. And there's another reporter right behind him who's going to ask some meaningful questions. But that reporter came to get certain sound bites, get, to get, the, get them on the record about a certain issue. And I have seen reporters not even stick around. Now, it's more TV. The, the journalists, usually the, the print journalists, the radio people, they kind of stay the entire time. But the TV people, especially because they know they've only they've been sent out to get this soundbite, right? Because the news has been planned, they will break camp before anyone else has asked a question. And I'll never forget the first time I saw it. I was just like, "Why is he leaving?" And one of the people I worked with said, "Oh, he got the sound that he wanted." So you know that just kind of shows you how how the press deals, you know, with press conferences. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. I also think of. You ask the question, not you, but the, the person always asks the question in a much more open-ended way. And the follow-up is really where the nuance happens. And, and a president or just anybody can really skirt an answer. This goes back to something I said last week. I, I wonder if maybe – I'm obsessed with this idea, by the way. I don't even get to shoot a doubt. But I wonder if Biden himself – brings what I call a, a fact-checking czar to attend all kind of things and fact-check live because there was oftentimes during the Trump, I watched a lot of those Trump early COVID press conferences. And if only when he said to drink bleach and all that stuff, if only someone was in the room and be like, you know, this is BS, right? Why, why are you telling the American people BS? And, and nobody said that. There wasn't a single journalist who asked, hey, can you just clarify that you just told people to drink bleach? Can you just do that? Nobody ever kind of said that, right? Because you only have the one question. And if he hates you, you, you might get a half a question off before he cuts you off. So you can't really you can't really ask the question that you need to ask. I also saw with Trump, there would be a woman or a person of color who would ask a question and Trump would kind of ignore it. And then there would be someone who falls on the sword next and be like, I'm going to I'm going to ask the question that you didn't allow them to ask. There's also that camaraderie that happens between kind of uh, writers and journalists and stuff like that. So this is it's interesting. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know if it's fixable at this point, because the way we consume uh, information now is is not is not really a nuanced way. And this is all a nuanced thing. Right. Right. Um, speaking of misinformation. Uh, the week ended on a very interesting note, and I will tell you my expectations were met, and, and I had different expectations than maybe some others, but uh, the notorious Margie Taylor Greene uh, was called in front of an administrative law judge to testify. Now, just so you know, and I, I'm not sure Georgia may be different, and they may have actually bought like a circuit court judge. Most administrative law judges that I don't know do not wear robes because administrative law is different than you know, criminal, civil type law. And uh, my cousin is a is a uh, administrative law judge in Washington State, and she does not wear a robe. So I thought it was fascinating that Homeboy was wearing a robe. But then again, that's another state, and they might, you know, approach administrative law differently. But Marjorie Taylor Greene went up there 
Um, it was almost kind of like watching Kyle Rittenhouse um, testify. Um, I don't think that the judge was as protective of her as Kyle Rittenhouse's judges is protective of him, but he let the, he let her evade. He let her attorney uh, really derail a lot of stuff. I thought, given the circumstances, I thought the guys that were coming on the other side that were the plaintiffs in this case, I thought they did as good a job as they could do given their circumstances. Uh, did you watch watch the hearings at all? I I, I saw the highlights on on Twitter. Um... John, just so before we talk about it, do you know if this is a Hail Mary or 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 is there an actual chance that she'll be kept off the ballot? Same thing with Madison Cawthorn. He is facing a similar lawsuit in his state. Do, do you have any insight into that? No insight. I think the worst thing is, you know, she didn't want to do it. Um, she did not want to go under oath. Um there's a lot of things that happen that a lot of people feel like she could probably, she may have committed perjury, may have. Um, I think the I think the thing that probably was the worst thing for her, especially, is that she actually testified under oath. And if and if this is the first, but of of many opportunities or, or not opportunities, but times being required to testify under oath, might she put herself in a pickle? Look, I, I, I don't I'm not going to uh uh lose sleep wondering whether or not she'll get kicked off the ballot. If she does, great, not great. It's a long shot seat for us anyways. It but here's the thing. I honestly think that her having to be understand under oath is something that long term is gonna come back to haunt her. Might hunt her in the short term, it might keep her off the ballot, but I don't think I think that the guys that are are bringing this case they're playing a long game and they're bringing some issues. They're casting doubt. Um, you know, just the fact that the judge that said that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, had to testify, the federal judge that said it, uh, basically found fault with the people who said that Madison Cawthorn don't have, doesn't have to testify. And evidently Mad uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene used the same argument that Madison used. So might he be put up in front, in front. Um, it's hard to say, you know, they have a, there might even be enough to kick uh, her off the ballot, but she has a Republican secretary of state, uh, who is a Republican secretary of state who has a primary who's on the ballot. So his decisions might be driven by politics more so than, you know, what, what is fair, what is just. Um, but I also think that I'd be very fascinating to see, um, of course, the filings that come in between now and the time the judge rules. And, you know, of course, I'm not going to sit there as, as you and I know that whatever the news of the week is, we become de facto experts in that area. Um, uh, but I won't pretend to know what the legal briefings is, but I, I, I think it's, I bet you from a legal standpoint and from a court watcher standpoint, from a historian standpoint, I think that there's some stakes that are greater than whether or not she stays on the ballot. And I think that there's a larger story that we might not know what it is now, but probably five, six years from now, or when this is all over, hopefully all over to the country's favor, um, it might make sense to us. So I think there was still great value in what happened in that hearing, regardless of whether or not she stays on the ballot. Yeah, I think this is totally the long game. I don't, I don't think, I don't think, there's, uh, I think it's a Hail Mary's chance that we keep her off the ballot, uh, which I, I do think is good, even if we don't pick up the seat. 
But um, uh, the two things that took away was one you brought up already, the, the whole perjury thing. I, I, that viral clip of her denying that she said something that we all heard her say uh, clearly perjured herself. She kind of got out of it at the end there when she said, oh, I, I, I might recall that. And, and she kind of kind of committed to it without committing to it. But she definitely oh, might have said, caught, no, I uh, didn't. She, she, she said, and then no, she said, I didn't oh, wait. It. And, 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 yeah. No, no. Well, no. She she said no. I didn't say it. And that's when the that's when the plaintiff's attorney said, "Call up uh, exhibit." And he didn't even finish the exhibit number. And she was like, "Oh, oh I remember now." Yeah, yeah. So she she might have saved herself a little bit. But the second angle I have here is, I I wonder if this is um a moment for maybe not her opponent, but someone in that world to. Br- so the highlight of this, if I'm not mistaken, was she had no idea what happened for the past three years. She didn't recall a single thing. She didn't remember anything. She doesn't even know who her fucking family, or I'll bleep that out. She doesn't even remember anybody in her inner circle saying anything, right? So I wonder if this is a, a moment for for all the people who criticize Sleepy Joe. I say that with quotes, anybody who's listening. Sleepy Joe and Pelosi's old. And boom, boom, boom. I wonder if this is a moment where how does an otherwise healthy young um, woman not remember anything that's happened for the past two years? It, can we call into question whether she's fit to serve in Congress, right? That's the kind of narrative that I would push here as opposed to the legal ways to say, do we trust somebody who cannot remember a single thing they've done? For two years. So, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily believe she'll get kicked off the ballot, but if she perjures herself or this is an opportunity to embarrass her, um, I'll def like, look, the big picture here, she's already been trouble with, with the, the Republican caucus, right? She's been kicked off, um, um, certain committees. She's had to apologize multiple times before. And, and with, with McCarthy MTG, and we'll get into it momentarily with your boy, Madison, I wonder if just this is just continuing continuing momentum on the down the down slope for the Republicans. So if it just adds a little bit to this kind of snowball, then it's it's fine by me. Well, one of the things I will say, and it, it irked me, um, is she kept when they were talking about her social media. They said, "Well, do you authorize this?" So I don't look at everything. That's BS. She's right, but she's wrong. Um, as you know, I'm, I have administrative access myself and other person to a sitting member of Congress, political social media accounts. We are empowered to say whatever we want to say, but we can, our number one charge is not to get the principal. The principal is the congressperson. We are, the principal is a term that people use to talk about that elected official they work for. Our number one charge is not to get the principal in trouble. Because even if I went ahead and on my own put up something that reflected poorly on her, then she might deal with me internally. But at the end of the day, who pays the price for that that bad post? She does. She's ultimately responsible. And so what you have to say is, I'm going to trust. And, and what's funny is when we say, when we are deciding that we're going to post something a little edgy or what have you, I'll ping her. If, if it's about just saying, hey, you know, great job on that bill, Senator so-and-so, whatever, no problem. But if it's something that is going to get a lot of heat, a lot of retweets, a lot of quotes, and it's remotely edgy, 
uh, I will call and I will I will seek approval for. We don't do likes. We don't like anything. You don't. You never do like. So remember how MTG was, um, you know, like the one thing that said Pelosi should die or whatever. You don't do that. And more importantly, as the principal, if there's people on her account that are wilding out like that she's alleging not doing, those people need to be fired. Those people need to be fired. Again, we're empowered to do what we um, feel is best on our behalf. We don't have to run everything past her. But we also know that we will not, our number one priority is not to put her in a bind, not to put her in a position to where she has to testify or apologize because, you know, something crazy happened, right? And if we do, we fully expect to be walking the plank and out of a job. MTG needed to have that type of uh, the buck stops with me type of attitude, and she should not be able to get away with blaming her staff. Well, I think you're giving too much credit to her. She clearly was lying there. She definitely tweets from her own account. She def- Keep in mind, as, as you know very well, there is the official account of the U.S. government official, and then there's the personal account of the actual person. And sometimes she kind of plays it safe. And from the official account, she might not tweet what she really feels in the personal account, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this is probably more smart than we give her. She clearly tweeting the things she's talking about. She just says she has staffers doing it because she wants to pass the blame, right? This is not um, a buck stops with me type of party. Nobody in the Republican Party believes in that. Um, They, As Trump once famously said, I take no responsibility. So that's what they always will feel like. So I think we're just giving her too much credit. She clearly believes in the things, no matter what she even denies or deletes later, she clearly believes in the things. Remember, John, this is a this is a QAnon conspiracy theorist who's elected to Congress. She believed in Jewish space lasers who were causing California wildfires or whatever the thing was. She believes that Pelosi should be hung and she believes she had reconnaissance missions with January 6th uh, people. So this is a person that we shouldn't give credence to because she's a conspiracy theorist, uh, frankly. Right. It's crazy. So another member of the Republican caucus, by the way, we always talk and try to give Trump or Biden good news. We don't really need to because the Republicans had such a horrible week. But of course, according to the, 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 the parody account, the New York Times pitch bot, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure at some point in time in the next week, either the, either the New York Times or um, either the New York Times or uh, Chuck Todd will talk about uh, the Republicans had a bad week. How this is doom, How this spells doom and gloom for the Democrats, right? Um, so the next thing that happened is Madison Cawthorn. He just had a week. Uh, he evidently got pulled over again. Um, he got, uh, there's, uh, photos of him, uh, on a cruise ship in women's lingerie drinking. And then there's something that came out today where some people think he might be hitting a blunt, um, which depending on what state he's in, if he's in DC, it's actually legal, believe it or not. Um, but, and, and let me say this about the lingerie before we go further. Um, for those of us uh, who have friends who, who support who are trans, um, the calling out of Madison Cawthorn is not about being anti-trans. It's not about being homophobic. It's about pointing out the hypocrisy. 
that a man who is sitting there um, really advancing my, uh, toxic masculinity, voting against, um, you know, laws that would benefit the LGBT community. Um, I'm sure I've not, I'm not sure of all of his rhetoric, but I'm sure there's rhetoric that contradicts. That's what people are going in on. So what was your reaction to the week that Madison Cawthorn had? Uh, in, yeah, in, I'm going to double down on what you said there at the, the last few days. Nobody on the left, nobody, nobody, nobody is criticizing Madison Cawthorn for wearing lingerie. Guys, it's 2022. There's no kink shame in here. Nobody believes that wearing lingerie is bad. It makes you less masculine, what have you. You don't have to be gay. You don't have to be transsexual. Nobody, you don't have to be transgender. No, anybody can wear lingerie. It's a piece of clothing. Do whatever you feel like, uh, as far as, as I'm concerned. Like you said, right? This is about you pers- portraying a public persona that men are less masculine than they used to be. That men who act, quote unquote, feminine are less of a man. Men who are gay that are less of a man. Transgender men who are not men, Right. This is the Republican Party who these are the principles that they stand on. And then behind closed doors, um, partaking in acts that they are criticizing publicly. That's what we're criticizing here is the hypocrisy, is the double standard, is the fact that you criticize people for living their life. And then you behind closed doors are living your life uh, in contradiction to what you're voting for uh, on the floor. That's the problem here with Madison Cawthorn. He tried to he tried to say this was a, pl- a game. You try to say this is a drinking game. By the way, you having pictures of you plastered, drunk on a cruise, when you have a history of people accusing you of sexual assault, right? I think 17 girls in the past, right? This is a bad look for you in general, right? You're supposed to represent your constituents. You're supposed to represent the United States. And for you calling Zelensky a thug, Sleepy Joe, whatever, whatever, you're a fraud. That's what I'll say to Madison. You're a fraud. You can punch as many trees in the forest as you want. It doesn't make you a tough guy. Um, I will never make fun of your uh, uh, health condition. Obviously, that was an accident that happened a long time ago. But you can punch as many trees as you want in the forest. It doesn't make you a tough guy. I don't care what anybody says. So um, Madison's a fraud. The entire Republican Party are frauds. Nobody's going to have a problem with this. Nobody's going to have a problem with this. They all care about Hunter Biden's laptop. What we saw on Twitter today was, or today, yesterday, this whole week, was a definitely a banner week for Republicans, is 10 times worse than whatever is on Hunter Biden's laptop, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that I think is just frustrating, and this goes back to everything we've talked about thus far, is we keep hearing, and you and I know the history. We know the trends that this is a bad year for Democrats. Um, and it's going to go back to our criticism that we just had of the media. Biden is putting up some great numbers with the economy. Granted, inflation's up, but unemployment where it needs to be, you know, wages are going up. A lot of great things are happening. Uh, he got a lot of stuff passed, more stuff than anybody expects him to have gotten passed. He got Katanji Brown-Jackson in. You have Kevin McCarthy lying to reporters. You have MTG. You have Cawthorn. We still don't know if Gates is going to actually catch a case for the child pornography slash human trafficking type thing. 
And we're still being led to believe um, that the Republicans are going to take back the House and Senate. Now, they very well could. But it's kind of like with when they say the Democrats have bad messaging. No, do the Democrats really have bad messaging when we know what good stuff Biden does and 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 people are reacting a certain way? And more importantly, you're also telling me all this crazy unacceptable career ending stuff happening on the Republican side and they're still going to take back the House and Senate. Look, I'm not a big fan of always blaming the media and I think Democrats have to do a much better job of messaging. But at what point is it that we have a system that is rewarding mediocrity and not recognizing legitimate, significant, and in some cases historic accounts? Uh, yeah, I mean... This goes back to the McCarthy situation, right, with the media and everything. It's it's complex, right? I think somewhere along the way, it went from what does the country need to know, and it went to how do we shape this for the country. I think there's a line there that was crossed. I don't know when that happened and where that happened, but there was a there was a point where it was like we have to report the news, and then it turned into kind of this. Uh, Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith kind of first take, we have to debate this as if it's even on both sides. Frankly, it's not even on both sides, right? McCarthy's story, I hope, I'll ask you about it. I have a, a question about that later, but the McCarthy story, I hope, lingers into next week and further, right? It should It should be further, right? Biden passed the historical infrastructure deal, and the story was what wasn't in it. He passed one of the greatest pieces of legislation ever. And the story was, well, he settled because he really wanted all this. And they painted passing a bill worse for Biden than what McCarthy just did as, as does that make sense? Like they're trying to paint it as if that's the same. The false equivalency is mind boggling, right? Um, Trump tear gassing protesters, Trump, sexually uh, accusations of sexual assault against women. He's on tape openly bragging about looking at underage girls in the uh, Miss uh, Teen Beauty Pageant, whatever that thing is. They treated that the same as uh, Hillary saying that she had hot sauce in her purse, right? Because they have to appear to be objective, right? What's objective is you just reporting what happened, right? The hot sauce thing was not a, was not a thing. And yet you reported on it like it was. I know a lot of people, I argue a lot with Trumpers online and they'll say, I'll say Trump is a racist. And they'll say, well, Biden made that joke that if you don't vote for him, you're not black. And I say, that was a joke that probably didn't land well. And within 15 minutes, his entire campaign and him apologized. And then he corrected that mistake, right? As opposed to decades and decades of Trump showing racist behavior, right? So the... People painting that the same way is what's really mind-boggling, and it's up to the media's uh, job to to kind of correct that course, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, and I'm not sure you saw the NBC News report yesterday uh, where they said that black people are most impacted by uh, inflation, but for some reason Biden's approval ratings in the black community are really high. And the implementation or implication, I'm sorry, there would be that 
oh, black people are too stupid to realize that inflation is high and they're not blaming Biden. But maybe it's also that black people are not dumbasses. And there's a lot of things going on. First of all, there might be some of us that understand that there's global inflation going on. There's some of us that understand that the gas prices are going up because of everything that Putin's doing. There are some of us that understand that Abbott was doing some really crazy things down there at the border. And there's also many of us that understand that even if Biden is not performing as well as as people believe he should be, and I think he's performing better than people believe he should be, um, but even if he's not, we know that the alternative is a racist Republican Party. And so, yeah, there's a lot of reasons, and none of it has to do with ignorance or naivete on the on the part of black folks. It has everything with uh, to do with being with an honest and frank assessment of what's going on. In yeah, this world it's unfortunate and why that it going the uh, the media doesn't understand that the black voter enough yet. And what I mean by that is Trump won in 2016, and there was the Michigan diner pieces about Trump voters, and then he got killed in the blue wave in 2018, and there was like that Trump peace on vote Trump voters again. And then he got murdered uh, electorally in the 2020 election. Sorry, I don't mean that literally 2020 election. And they were still doing kind of Trump voter pieces and they're still doing Trump voter pieces to this day. Um, I, I always tell people this and I've never, I don't think I've ever said it on this pod, but I think black women are the foundation of this entire country. And what I mean by that is black women face and have to react to the, they're the last on the totem pole for the government and they are always last in line for things, but yet they continue to vote for the person who is best for the country and not necessarily best for them. Right. We know that the black community and other communities have problems with Biden, but they believed Biden was just the better candidate than Trump was or anybody other, any other Democrat as Bernie Sanders tries to throw his hat in the field again. Right. So I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is the, the person I trust the most in this country, I think as far as voting is the black uh, woman and black people in general, because they always seem to be the last in line, but they take it so serious and they're not voting for remember 13,000 people in Florida. This could be misinformation. I'm sorry. I could fact check it. But there was people voting for Harambe in the 2016 election. There was a lot of people who voted for Bernie who were so mad at how that played out that they voted for Jill Stein in 2016 general election. And and black people just don't do that. At least I'm speaking anecdotally, but but from my experience is black people don't take the privilege as lightly as other people take it. And so that's why I think there should be massive media coverage about what the black voter thinks. And that's why I think South Carolina maybe should be the first in the primaries and not Iowa. Right. So there, there's a lot of complex stuff here that the media just doesn't care to really, uh, they just think, uh, Oh, you know, gas prices are high. Black people should not vote for Biden. And it's just so dumb. to be honest. You know, and I, I said before is it's crazy that despite all the good news that is actually happening on the Democratic side and all the bad news or embarrassing news is happening on the Republican side, they ignore and they still treat the Republicans like they're viable. Well, one person who benefits from that is Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis went ahead and uh, was very heavy-handed and forced uh, the legislature to go ahead and strip Disney of the special tax status that it has. And 
first and foremost, can you just imagine if Lori Lightfoot, J.B. Pritzker, uh, Joe Biden were to punish his enemies, their enemies, the way that, that DeSantis did, Republicans would be up in arms. That's completely unacceptable. But here's the worst part about it, is he went ahead and was so hell-bent in destroying Disney by taking away that special tax status, it is now becoming very obvious to a lot of people that what he did to was because not understanding the way this thing works is he gave Disney like a $163 million a year uh, tax break and they, I guess, have about $1 billion in debt that is wiped off the books that the taxpayers in the Orange County and I think it's Os- Oscala or o- o- Oscala uh, County in Central Florida, they're the ones who are going to make up for the tax dollars that Disney does not have to pay. The man is an idiot. But they're going to try to go out and tell us that if Trump doesn't run, this guy should be the front runner. If, if you look at the stuff he's done, the fascism and all that other stuff, there's no way in hell this man should be the front runner. And if he is the front runner and if he is viable, it's because the press yeah. is. Not I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on one thing job. you said. I don't think he's an idiot. I think this he's very calculated. And he's doing this because. There is no platform. The, the culture war is the platform, right? The CRT, which is not a story anymore. Now it's Disney grooming people. Don't even know what that means. Um, I don't think this even hurts Disney that much, right? This just hurts his voter base uh, financially, but they're definitely going to double down on voting for him no matter what, right? So I don't think he's an idiot. I just think he's very calculated. He's very smart. He's super unlikable unlike Trump, though. I think Trump amongst the base, obviously, is very likable. And DeSantis is kind of a, an elitist in that way. And and I will say this, if they're both on the ballot, I want to see them tear it up. I think it's the equivalent of Ali Foreman as far as the Republican candidates go. I want to see how ugly that gets because that's going to be awesome, right? We know that Trump hates him and we know that DeSantis wants it. So we'll see, right? But this is this is an ongoing platform of the Republican Party is just a culture war, right? Anti-LGBTQ, anti-trans, anti... Uh, by the way, DeSantis also this week tore up a black uh, congressional district because he wanted to kind of break it up. And... and, 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 and yeah. Val so Val he's, he's doing really, really Val evil Val stuff uh, on, the, on, the, on the non-surface level, the surface level Disney stuff. And the big picture is not that important. I think what he's trying to do behind the scenes is is much more important, which is why I think I'm worried about him being president as opposed to Trump, because I think Trump is so stupid that he can't really do the things that DeSantis could do. And I think DeSantis could do what everything that Trump could do, just a lot smarter and a lot more subtle. So um, I don't know. I don't think he's a viable candidate. He is amongst the Republicans, but I, I just don't see him um, beating Trump. So we'll see how that kind of goes. Well, there's a lot to left to discuss. We're running out of time, but two things I'm gonna and I'm gonna put them together, then I want you to react together. First of all, Joe Biden told uh, Barack Obama he's gonna run again in 2024. Um, I'm hopeful that it is the case, but of course, I'll believe it when I see it because I do think, given his age, everything's got to be touch and go. But the other thing is, Bernie Sanders has indicated that he may want to run in 2024, and I will just tell you this: um, I the, the people who support Bernie running in 2024. 
I do not want to hear one freaking word about how old Dianne Feinstein is. And for people who went ahead and say that, uh, that, that support Bernie running in 2024, I do not ever want to hear again about how we can never hear from Al Gore or Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton and Al Gore actually both won the popular vote. And, and, and Bernie couldn't even make it out of her primary. So why should the two people who actually won the popular vote go away and right off to the sunset, yet the dude who couldn't even win a freaking primary uh, is, is allowed a second bite of the apple? So what are your thoughts on both of those issues? Well, the Bernie thing is a non-thing to me. I think he's trying to stay relevant. He, I don't know how he's so relevant. I really don't get it, John. He's... he's not done nothing but lose elections. He lost two. He lost. He got killed in the 2016 primary, and then he doubled down, and then got it even beat worse in the 2020 primary. So I don't know why he wants to throw his head in the ring. I think he just wants to be cool and throw rallies and and stuff like. That. I have no idea. He's just a non thing to me. I just think I wish he would go away, just stay a senator and just and just kind of stay in your little lane. Um, the Biden-Obama thing I found interesting because I don't think Biden would have said that to Obama um, if he didn't mean it. And so these guys are, remember, these guys aren't just former, like, this isn't just a former president. This is your your buddy, your best friend, your friend, right? So I don't think he would have said it. I also think it would have never got leaked unless they wanted it to get leaked. Obama was famous for not having leaks. Same thing with Biden. Nothing really gets out unless they want it to. So. I don't know. I don't think he, I don't think, I think he wants to run. I just think he's, he, he's probably not going to make a choice until after 2022. And I think it'd be an easier choice for him. But I think if we lose the house in 2022 or the Senate, I think he definitely runs in 2024. Now we'll see, right? His age, why would he give up? I saw somebody say this. Why would he give up the incumbent? kind of benefit, right? It's hard. It's hard to beat an incumbent uh, elected official. Trump really is the second guy only ever to lose the presidency after one term, right? So why would Biden give that up? My gut feeling, and it's too early, we'll make our predictions at the top of the year, but my belief internally is that I truly do believe he'll run. And if he wins, I do believe he'll eventually not make it the four years. I think he'll step aside and let the vice president take over, which I believe will be Kamala. So um, that's my general rough thing. I think he wants to get the country in a, a steer the right way, get it foundation uh, back secure. And I think he'll kind of take his swan song and, and resign and retire. What that, what I've never, I don't know how that works <laughs> for the president. Yeah. Well, and just, you know, I do think, um, Given a cabinet, given all the other things, it's very easy for someone to uh, serve as president long. I mean, the campaign trail is daunting uh, and, you know, running around the country. But Air Force One is a great way to travel. I bet you it's probably not even like flying. Right. You know, um, and and if you've got good cabinet, good vice president, um, you can do a lot. So. You know, on that note, uh, you know, here's to it. You know, I, I could support Biden-Harris again another time. Uh, and, um, you know, let's let's go ahead and make sure that we give him a House and we give him a Senate that, that, that we can maintain the majority in. I think it's time to prove the naysayers wrong. So for now, this is John say, signing off. This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. Mm-hmm.